I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. In Christian hymnody, the word Jerusalem has a, a special meaning to it. It's not a geographical reference, but it is something else. It does hold the hope and the promise for Christians when they talk about Jerusalem. They're not talking about that city in ancient Palestine or even today. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We're going to study the Church Triumphant Hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. Pastor Sean Denzer joins us. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. It's great to be back, Todd. So let's explain All Saints Day first. Why do Christians celebrate it, and what are they celebrating? I actually really like the old intro for this Sunday as an explanation. It was kind of a common one that got repurposed depending on your feast day. You you could see how easily it could be changed. But it said, let us uh, celebrate a feast day in honor of all the saints at whose solemnity the angels rejoice and give praise to the Son of God. We changed that now in LSB to something different that draws from the scriptures. But it's the idea that we would honor those heroes of the faith, those Christians who have gone before us, very much in imitation of what Hebrews 11 does, giving a whole catalog of saints, speaking concerning the the things that are imitable about their life uh, and conversation and faith in Christ Jesus especially. And then to praise not them, but to praise the Son of God who uh, they trusted in uh, and in whom all their works were done. So we're talking not just about kind of that select group of people who throughout church history have been either recognized or honored as with the, the honorific saint. We're talking about all Christians. Well, uh, not originally, actually. I mean, certainly for All Saints Day in particular, this absolutely was the famous saints. We, we could say it that way. There was another day for that, All Souls Day, that came the next day. Uh, but that's fraught with trouble for us as Lutherans because the focus of All Souls Day was getting these souls out of purgatory and all the way to heaven. That's where your grandma and, and the, the people that you knew who were Christians who've died in the faith would most likely be. Our understanding is quite different, of course, drawing from the scriptures that we expect uh, to be with Christ upon death awaiting the resurrection. In the Lutheran church uh, that we have today, really we have rolled these two days into one. We've gotten rid of all thoughts of sacrifice or indulgence, and now we've recognized that the word saint as it's used in the scriptures certainly refers not only to, in fact, it, it rarely refers to the dead saints who are awaiting the resurrection. It refers to the Christians who are living today. When we use the term sainted or or we think of All Saints Day then, we certainly think of the famous and, and well-known ones, but we also tend to include all of the unknown ones, which, which may be the ones that are known personally to us as well. The reference here to Jerusalem it's, it's quite obviously not a geographical reference or reference to the city itself in some sort of direct sense, because then only the <laughs> residents of Jerusalem could honestly sing a hymn like this, Jerusalem, my happy home. 
What does this word mean in Christian parlance, especially hymnody? Well, just as Paul kind of radically calls Christ's Israel, not the the descendants of Jacob, but all those who trust in Christ Jesus, and he has a long argument on this in Romans, so also Jerusalem now has shifted to mean the place where the Lord dwells forever, which is no longer, as Jesus said, connected to any particular mountain or place, but wherever in spirit and truth, that is, according to the Holy Scriptures, uh, he is worshipped. So so Jerusalem now uh, has to do less with a particular place and more with where the Christian church is, but specifically that holy Christian church in perfection. So Paul talks about this in Galatians when he sa- when he uses the allegory of the two mountains and the two ladies from the Old Testament, Hagar and Sarah. Hagar is the slave woman when Egypt cast that out, but Sarah is corresponds to Jerusalem, our mother above. That is the Jerusalem that is uh, eternal life, the Jerusalem that is our, our, our heavenly country, you might say, which is to say uh, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, the life and the resurrection. And then we see the exact same thing in the book of Revelation where, behold, I see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, uh, adorned as a bride for a husband. And this is the description of eternal life, uh, the beatific vision, the, the life with Christ forevermore. And the place where Jerusalem is then is described in, in glorious fashion with more decoration and ornate beauty than we know even Solomon's or Herod's Jerusalem and temple ever had. What are the primary biblical texts for this hymn? Sure. So the hymn uh, goes through – this hymn, I think really you need those two texts to understand why this uh, use of the phrase Jerusalem uh, appears. But in addition to that, then it goes on to describe eternal life. So especially you get from Revelation 21, the description of the new city, which has uh, all of the various gems and streets of gold descriptions of that, Christ the Lamb in the center, and then also Revelation 7, which speaks of the great multitude of saints that are gathered together. Do we know anything about the author of this hymn? Uh, it's it's really interesting. We, we know where the uh, sources for this hymn come from. As for the author, it's, it's a little more difficult. So there's a book that was printed in 1553, uh, called the Book of Meditations. It was attributed to St. Augustine, although it seems like it probably wasn't actually his, but it became very popular. And then people wrote some poems based on it, and there were kind of three poems. So there was one called O Mother Dear Jerusalem that was published by W. Pridd in 1585. And uh, then there was another one as well. And then the third one, uh, it was by F. BP, and they never gave us what his actual title or what what those uh, letters stand for, but he wrote one that began, Jerusalem, my happy home, which definitely comes in then to the first stanza, although much more of this hymn is actually based on that other hymn, O Mother, Dear Jerusalem. But you see how it's connected with that Galatians passage, and a much longer collection of stanzas was reduced to the hymn that we know today. Uh, What did, uh, to see if there's a connection here, with any other Jerusalem hymns. We, uh, the one happens to be one of my favorite, which is uh, Jerusalem, the Golden. Mm. Are there any connections here? I mean, it's a similar idea. I'm not sure that there's any direct connection in terms of the authorship, 
but but that hymn by Bernard of Cluny was quite a, an innovation. I, I don't believe before that there had been many hymns focusing on eternal life in this kind of extended description of eternal life that is appealing to the Christian, that we would actually, in fact, take a moment to uh, just uh, consider the rest that is to come. So Bernard of Cluny's, who, who wrote Jerusalem the Golden, his description there really does kind of kick off this genre, if you want to call it, of of a hymn that looks into the church triumphant and then draws strength for our Christian walk here by considering the peace and rest that is to come. That idea, though, is not new. It's exactly what St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. St. Paul, I guess, introduces this weird paradox that he says, right, this is the glory that is to come is beyond all comparison. It's unknowable. And yet he says, why don't you put your mind on the higher things? Why don't you seek out these eternal things that are unseen? And I would say to myself, well, how can I how can I look for something that I can't see? But then I, I think this gives rise to something that sometimes can be overdone in our Christian, either preaching or in Christian consideration, that we that we speculate endlessly maybe about what is eternal life really going to be like. In the similar genre, it's, it's difficult for us to see past the fall into what life in perfection, however many moments Adam and Eve were in it, what that would have been like. Nevertheless, also, we're interested in that. We, we want to get there. And, and so maybe the speculation can lead us into rabbit holes that aren't profitable, but the desire to, to, to be at rest with Christ Jesus, to be free from all sin, to be free from this world, as so many of our classic Lutheran hymns speak of, this is a godly desire. Here is the first stanza. Jerusalem, my happy home, when shall I come to thee? When shall my sorrows have an end? Thy joys, when shall I see? Jerusalem, my happy home, when shall I come to thee? When shall my sorrows have an end? Thy joys, when shall What do we find in this first stanza, Pastor Denzer? So I think we have the rhetorical question of Jerusalem, and maybe this is sparking another uh, psalm reference that we should recognize is, this is what Psalm 42 says, right? When shall I come and appear before God? Uh, in Psalm 42, it's in the context of uh it's in the context of the enemies that are decrying the Christian and saying, where is now your God? In which case our soul is then encouraged to, to hope in God, for we will yet praise him. Here, it's the same question, but it's, it's, it's set free from all of the attacks. And simply to say, let's dig into that. When will I come to you? When, when will I put all of this away? Uh, when will I finally have my eternal heavenly home with Christ? It's not asking this because um, because we're unsure. This is this is what the resurrection will give to us. This is what the Lord has promised, and His promises are sure. 
but it's rhetorically expressed to say, oh, I, I can't wait to be there. We have the same kind of thing, by the way, in our in our Lutheran Christmas hymn, right? Uh, in dolce jubilo, now sing we now rejoice, oh, that we were there. Where can, can this joy be found except in heavenly ground, right? It's the exact same kind of expression. So this isn't a desire to die per se. This is a desire for the resurrection. Yes. And, well, I mean, it... it, it Look, it's exactly how St. Paul puts it, right? On the one hand, I'm torn. I would love to remain and be with you. And on the other hand, to be with Christ is far better. And to be free from this from this veil of tears would be far better. We know that it's not in our power to determine our days. We're to apply our hearts to wisdom, Psalm 90 says, and know that it's the Lord who sweeps us away in death unless he comes again in glory first. So, uh, no, uh, the Christian is not necessarily craving death or seeking death, but we are longing for, I think what Hebrews says so well, right? It says, we do not now see everything in subjection under Christ's feet, even though it says that everything is, in fact, in subjection to him. He's ascended on high. He's put all things under his feet. And yet we don't see that. We don't see that in our lives. We see sin clinging to every good work that we do. We don't see it in our lives. We are still attacked by so many enemies in this world. The devil is after us all the time. And of course, death continues, as you know well, Todd, to claim uh, beloved members of our congregations. And, and we, when we go out to the funerals to bury them, we don't see anybody raising up uh, as, as the Lord has promised. They should be living forever. So we long for the day when all of this will be revealed, when it will all be, be given to us. When we come back, stanza two of Jerusalem, my happy home, O happy harbor of the saints, O sweet and pleasant soil, in thee no sorrow may be found, no grief, no care, no toil. The Church's Music from the 20th Century. The 17th Century. The 11th Century. century. The fourth century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org the faith once for all delivered to the saints. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Public schools are increasingly chaotic and undermine Christian children's faith. We need to rebuild our Lutheran schools to provide a truly Christian alternative. Redeemer Classical School is rebuilding this Christ-focused education in Fort Wayne, Indiana, teaching students to wonder at God's creation and to love their neighbors. We need you to help us give children this faithful Christian education. Donations to Redeemer Classical School go directly to providing scholarships. Visit fortwayneclassical.com give. When pastors talk about us, they say ad crucem. When laity mention us, they say ad crucem. When telemarketers call us, they say ADC Rucam. But a Luther Rose by any name will smell as sweet. Ad crucem is the place to go for greeting cards and artwork, jewellery and ornaments, housewares, church certificates, church banners and much more. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Stanza two of the hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. We're studying this church triumphant hymn with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, what are your first thoughts on this second stanza? We know that actually one of the words was slightly changed from city to harbor. I have to imagine, this is just my speculation, that that has to do with it being now a British hymn, an English text. And we know that Britain cares about a home coming, right, to your harbor. But... Notice this this sweet and pleasant place. Uh, this is again the depiction of heaven as a as a foreign land, or, but but actually as coming home. Say after a war, after after being uh, exiled for a long time, that finally you're arriving at home. Uh, so so that's the picture we're given. And and sometimes I think we're tempted to think, well, this idea that there's you know that there might actually be a dock we'd step onto, or that there'd be soil that we might plant something in that these are maybe a little too concrete an example to discuss so ethereal a place as eternal life. But I think it's rather helpful to us, especially in an age which tends to tends to frankly think that uh, the eternal life that we're awaiting is simply some disembodied life, that we're, we're souls floating around, you know, not actually on the ground or in the soil at all. Rather, we awaited... Uh, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're, uh, the new creation is going to be just that. It's going to be, as far as we can see, a corporeal place, a, a truthful dwelling place. The only difference is going to our bodies will be glorious, just as as First John says, right? As as Christ is, so we shall be. I think that's a, an important point to hold on to going forward in the stanzas of this hymn so that we're not, when we get to the next stanza, talk about gallant walks and things like that, we're not picturing some sort of, it'll be like that. We'll really just be kind of walking around the mists of the clouds in a disembodied form. There is going to be, as you just said, there's going to be a corporeal, recreated heaven and earth. Yeah, uh, this is this is something you find in Isaiah chapter sixty-five, a, a passage that I found very 
encouraging, frankly, in many ways, especially dealing with miscarriages. But it's a really strange text. So this is Isaiah's picture of eternal life. And, and he lays out a bunch of descriptions. Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered to come to mind. Be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, here we go, that image again, to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. But then his description is, frankly, some of these things just don't just don't work and don't make sense, right? Uh, especially if it's talking about eternal life, that there won't be an infant who lives but a few days. There won't be an old man who does not fill out his days. The young man will die 100 years old, and you might say to yourself, well, nobody's going to die in eternal life, right? Correct. But the image is is really drawing on what we experience now and then saying eternal life is going to be like, imagine that if a young person we're a hundred years old. We say, man, if you make it to a hundred, you've, you've really, you've really lived a full life and we don't expect that everybody's going to do that. This is how the young man dies in this place. Right. And, and it says that nobody's going to labor in vain or bear offspring for calamity, but their descendants are going to be there. They're going to, they're not going to build a house and somebody else takes it over, uh, but your, your, your farmstead will go on forever. I mean, these are not directly the way eternal life is going to be because nobody's going to be married or given a marriage or, or bearing children in eternal life. And yet everything that goes that is beloved and beautiful in this life and then goes wrong, nevertheless, like an expecting a new baby, right? That will be gone in eternal life. All, all of that pain that, that, bitterness that that taints the the sweetness that could be perfectly sweet if it weren't for sin's corruption in this life that is going to be gone and how would you possibly describe that except to i guess trying to describe what we do know but if nothing went wrong right i, I want to also make sure that with that term no toil we don't leave the impression that eternal life is just kind of lounging about for the rest of our lives it is a rest but I like the way that Dr. Lewis Brighton often reminded us that we will be busy just as we are. God gives us something to do here. He will give us things to do in eternal life as well. It's not going to be one long vacation, but it won't be labor. I like the word toil. It won't be labor that has been soured by sin. Yeah, that's exactly what I used to think as a kid is, boy, I'm going to be bored or how many days can I go fishing in a row or something like that. Imagine, uh, we'll get there in a second, I suppose, but uh, imagine what it would have been like in paradise, in a garden where there's plenty to do, where where animals are coming to Adam so he can name them. And, and I guess he's got probably some uh, planting to do. But imagine if it was all harvesting and all planting and no waiting, no fretting over hail or are we going to get enough rain or I wonder if uh, the soil is going to be any good in this place. All the, all the beautiful parts of work. Yeah, we, we simply don't know what this is going to be like. We only have uh, glimpses so far. Here is stanza three of Jerusalem, My Happy Home. Thy gardens and thy gallant walks continually are green. There grow such sweet and pleasant flowers as nowhere else are seen. Stands a three of Jerusalem, my happy home, our guest, Pastor Sean Denzer. So, Sean, we come now to Eden. This is maybe the 
the best reference to a paradise restored and now covering the whole new earth. Yeah, and there used to be more stanzas, we mentioned, those those kind of uh, models on which this hymn was drawn from, things that talked about there's no more damp mist to be seen in thee. I imagine that's what the British Isles must be like, right? No darksome night. Every soul shines like the sun. God himself gives light. That part comes in elsewhere too, right? No hunger, no heat. You can hear the, the references to uh, many other psalms as well. Yeah, I think you're right to say, you know, why is this stanza, which is fairly simple and and doesn't seem to be very theologically deep, it's still trying to express a perfection that we rarely see, that we only have slight glimpses of. I'm reminded of of the Lord saying about consider the lilies of the field, that they're arrayed more beautifully than Solomon. And I wouldn't necessarily think that wildflowers or field flowers are the example I'd use. The Lord calls attention to some simple beauty that can be marvelous in this life. And, of course, he goes on to say, right, and, you know, they they last for a couple days and then it's all thrown into the fire. Well, it won't be an eternal life. It will never wilt. The grass will, will never wither and the flower will never fade, and they will only produce sweetness all the time. We're talking about the Church Triumphant Hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Eternal Life is the theme of the November issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine. You can receive an annual print and digital subscription for less than $20. Find out more at cph.org witness or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective, the Lutheran Witness magazine, cph.org witness or 1-800-325-3040. 3040. When we return, stanza four, their trees forevermore bear fruit and evermore do spring. There evermore the angels dwell and evermore do sing. How does Jesus define the Christian's identity? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for October, Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or look for Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org. Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, 1-800-325-3040, or issuesetc.org. This fallen creation is bested by tornado, hurricane, flood, pandemic, and more. LCMS Disaster Response helps our congregations, their pastors, and other church workers to reach out to their members and neighbors with mercy, which flows from Christ's altar. We offer quality volunteer training, help for congregational readiness and response, and disaster grant funding. To learn more, visit lcms.org disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. Join Lutherans for Life in Washington, D.C., Thursday, January 19th through Saturday, January 21st, 2023. Go to lutheransforlife.org to learn more about LFL's Conference for Adults, LFL at the March, and the Y for Life Youth Conference in Washington, D.C. The registration deadline is December 15th. Lutherans for Life. Equipping Lutherans and their neighbors to be gospel-motivated voices for life. 
lutheransforlife.org. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our school is committed to authentic Lutheranism, the entire Book of Concord, and indeed to authentic Lutheranism as it has continued to be confessed and practiced through the centuries right up into our own time. Dr. Cameron McKenzie, chairman of the Department of Historical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're committed then to biblical, confessional Christianity and Lutheranism and applying it to the world of today in as effective a way as we can. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Stanza 4 of Jerusalem, My Happy Home. We're studying this church triumphant hymn with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Take us through this fourth stanza. Sure. Uh, briefly, it, it speaks about trees. It's easy to think about paradise, of course, and, and the abundance of trees. What's interesting uh, as I read this is uh, that's kind of not the image that we have in Revelation. It focuses in on one tree, right? The tree of life in Revelation 22 is the one that is present. It's there beside the water, the river that's flowing from the throne of the Lamb. And that one tree yields all the different kinds of fruit, one for every month. Its leaves are healing for all of the nations. So the image there is the tree of life that has been planted again. And then together with that, uh, the notion that the angels are singing, uh, they're living forever, they're present there in eternal life. It's it's very interesting that this hymn, uh, in the very reduced version we have from kind of its origins in those couple different songs, it's focused entirely on the pastoral, on the country, on the rural side of things. I, I think it's an interesting question to ask, which is the place of God in, in the scriptures? Is it in the country or is it in the city? And I kind of play, uh, have my tongue in cheek there because I think there's there's quite a bit of evidence for both, right? Certainly, it's a garden, and yet there's some structure, right, to a garden. It's not just a wild uh, a field that's growing on its own. Uh, you see the cities are the places of wickedness quickly in the, in Genesis. 
On the other hand, the book of Hebrews and elsewhere talks about us having no lasting city here, but we are citizens of the New Jerusalem, citizens of heaven and eternal life, and we await a, a city in which we do have a part. So this has taken maybe a contrast, uh, the way it's been reduced from some of the other places. I want to mention, by the way, before we get away from uh, kind of the outdoors here, just one stanza from the uh, original version that I find a little humorous. Within thy gates nothing doth come that is not passing clean. No spider's web, no dirt, no dust, no filth may there be seen. So uh, I don't know if we can include with that also no mosquitoes for our people who have those to deal with. Talk a little bit about the fact that it does mention here the angels, that while uh, we don't become angels in the resurrection, we do now finally join in what we should say, a nearer presence on account of Christ in that song of the angels that we participate in every divine service. Yeah, I I think this is marvelous to see that singing is one of the essential parts of heaven. You mentioned that the Lord will have things for us to do, and sometimes we hear that thing named out, well, you'll have to sing in the eternal choirs. I kind of like that as a director of worship. I won't require that uh, of our our, uh, speculation on eternal life. But certainly we see that singing is an essential part of what is going on in heaven. Maybe not the only thing going on in heaven, but it's everywhere. We look at the book of Revelation, we see as soon as somebody says something, all 24 elders and, and, and the four living creatures, everybody just bursts out into these songs. We see this described elsewhere, right? Blessed are those who know the festal shout as well as being what happens when the angels and Christ himself visits the world, they burst into songs, glory be to God on high, the angels sing. And we have the three characters from the beginning of Luke's gospel, Mary and Zechariah and then Simeon, who are all bursting into song at the entrance of Christ into the world. Uh, so we expect the same sort of thing uh, when we meet him again in glory, I think. Interesting, the the original version of this hymn ends with the song in the same way, uh, spread across a couple stanzas, and focuses in on who we see singing up there with the angels. So right after we hear about the angels singing, we lead into all sorts of saints. There, David stands with harp in hand as master of the choir. Ten thousand times that man were blessed that might this music hear. And then... St. Mary, Our Lady sings Magnificat with tunes surpassing sweet, and all the virgins bear their parts sitting at her feet. And then a, a third one, their Magdalene, that's Mary Magdalene, has left her moan, her, her repentance, right? Uh, this is the woman, uh, she was wrapped together in kind of old church history with the, the woman caught in adultery, as well as the woman who had seven demons cast out of her. Now she's cheerfully singing, and all the blessed saints, their harmony in every street doth ring. Here stands a five. Apostles, martyrs, prophets there around my Savior stand, and soon my friends in Christ below will join the glorious band. find this stanza rooted in Scripture? It's certainly mentioned in the Te Deum, which is not strictly speaking the Scriptures, 
But it's a building on that Hebrews 11 passage I mentioned, where where uh, the author to the Hebrews talks about all of the saints of old who by faith, by faith, by faith, this or that, whatever they had done, talks about uh, those who had been martyred, those who had been, who were the prophets, talks about all the old patriarchs, and then, you know, concludes with the beginning of chapter 12, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run our race, let us continue, right? So also in Hebrews 12, it talks about how we have come to the holy city, Jerusalem. We've come to the, the festal gathering of saints, to the angels, to the assembly of the firstborn, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the right righteous made perfect. And all of this then is what leads into the tradition of cataloging and lumping together all of these various groups of saints. This is really perfect for All Saints Day and something that has not been focused on the Lutheran Church in the last couple of centuries, but something that has really taken off in the Lutheran service book, which is the commemoration of the saints, to remember those heroes of the faith and to remember them according to their different categories. Um, many people ask, why don't we have any readings prescribed for the commemorations in the hymnal, like uh, St. Augustine, for example, or uh, St. Lawrence, the first deacon? The answer is, well, frankly, it was kind of a, a relatively new idea to have all these commemorations, and we didn't quite know if people would accept it or not. Since now the 15 years that LSB has been out, I think we could safe to say it's been very well received among uh, the Christians in our church. And if anything, I think they almost wish they had more resources. If we were to draw back into the history of, of the Lutheran Church and what came before the Lutheran Church, we'd find all of these various people and their readings organized by category. So prophets or apostles or uh, martyrs or bishops or bishops who were martyrs or virgins or holy men, saints, etc. And traditionally, those are the groupings then that build uh, all of the various saint commemorations throughout the year. So do all those days that you're talking about here that, that gladly we now observe, yeah. along with the church historic, do all those kind of funnel into this one day for this hymn? Yeah, I think that's safe to say. This is the way now, uh, this is the way All Saints Day has been observed for a long time. Uh, for a while, it had a history on May 13th, and then it kind of really uh, shifted to November 1st. But that this is all of the famous ones. It just We're not making any distinction or focusing in on one, but we want the whole band together. So this is the image that we have in Revelation where, where the focus is not, I mean, yes, of every tribe and every nation, every tongue, but the, the focus is on the harmony. If we can borrow from Michael Pretorius, right, his, vis- his understanding is we want to uh, single out all the divisions, right? So we've got this choir over here and we've got the sack butts over there and we've got the, the strings here. But the point of having these multiple forces is not to just focus on one or the other. It's how they're all in concert with one another. And that's the image that we have in Revelation. It's the image we have in Hebrews, that all of these various saints are together in one giant band. And, and we now should take our place with them as well. I'm also thinking about the place where Jesus says that the prophets, he's actually rebuking his enemies, saying the prophets will enter the kingdom of God before you, you you yourselves will find yourselves shut out. Nothing in here, since they mentioned my friends in Christ, nothing in here of sorrow for those who have rejected Christ. It's pure joy. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, Something a little unusual, I suppose. 
in hymns, so so many hymns will, will say both. I'm thinking of a multitude comes from the east and the west, for example. Now, some of those so those negative stances uh, tend to fall out in our modern time when we don't want to say anything negative. We want to don't want to speak about the flip side that, in fact, there are those who reject Christ Jesus. I think the reason for that is it's not that our modern sensibilities, which are to just talk about the happy things and ignore the sad things, but it really is trying to capture the truth of eternal life, which is it is free of all the things that we must speak about. Now, the original versions of these hymns had a little more of uh, of the contrast, say, between what we're expecting and what we face right now. So, for instance, we don't have this stanza anymore that says, we that are here in banishment continually do mourn, we sigh and sob, we weep and wail, perpetually regone. Sweet is mixed with bitter gall, our pleasure is but pain, our joys scarce last the looking on, our sorrows still remain. But there they live in such delight, etc., etc. We have this also in our, our, our Lutheran hymn by Simon Dach. Oh, how blessed are ye whose toils are ended. Kind of a back and forth dialogue between us who are, are still sojourning in this veil of tears, but looking on uh, to those who have reached the church triumphant, who are free of all of this. So this hymn in particular is, is just focusing on, in fact, that. It seems that he's longing for this so much so that he pictures himself, because he started out kind of looking up to just this Jerusalem, looking forward to it. Now he's picturing himself actually there awaiting his friends in Christ to join him. Yeah. Or just, just a thought, is it possible there should be quotation marks around this, right? Everyone's gathered around my Savior. Is now this saying all my friends are going to be with me as well? Or is this the voice of the saints encouraging us and saying, uh, we're waiting for you too? Uh, This is certainly what we find, by the way, of those saints who are under the altar, right? Their prayer for us all the time is, how long until you're going to avenge? How long till till our our, our will be complete, right? Till all are brought out. We're looking at the hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home, with Pastor Sean Denzer of LCMS Worship on the other side. Stanza six, O Christ, do thou my soul prepare for that bright home of love that I may see thee and adore with all thy saints above. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, as we move on into St. Luke's Gospel, we come to the Annunciation, the Visitation, Magnificat, Nativity of St. John the Baptist, and Benedictus Part 1. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Have you thought about eternal life? When does it begin? What is eternal life? Well, your eternal life does not begin when your body, earthly body, fails and is laid into the grave. It begins, in fact, in the waters of holy baptism where you were tied to the death of Christ and in him you were raised. To learn more about this topic of eternal life, pick up your copy of the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit witness.lsms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Old Theology, New Technology, 
You're listening to Issues Etc. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well-lived. Truth, freedom, vocation. Concordia University, Chicago. cuchicago.edu Final stanza of the Church Triumphant Hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. We're studying this hymn with Pastor Sean Denzer. What would you make of the final stanza here as we have it? It's a prayer. There's an old saying that I think was taught to so many Lutherans of a previous generation, that hymns are all prayers. That's why they all had amens in in the Lutheran hymnal in 1941. That's not always the case, sorry to say, Uh, but this one certainly does end with a prayer. This would be a great opportunity to have amen at the end in some way. And uh, it's a prayer to Christ himself. Interesting, it's it's the way so many of these uh, All Saints Day hymns end. Uh, and I think it illustrates then what is the value or what is the, the fruit that can be gained from doing this almost speculation in some cases or kind of poetic uh, envisioning of what eternal life will be life like based on the, the glimpses that we have from the Holy Scriptures combined with a little, uh, you know, fanciful um, and poetic uh, uh, speculation the advantage is that we, in fact, would desire it, that we would seek after it, that we would pray Christ to preserve us in the faith, to bring us faithful with him to there, to follow after him. And that's what this this last stanza is doing. Some of the, the original uh, kind of basis of this, again, goes on and quotes a lot of scriptures. It's quite a beautiful section, but it ends this, Grant, O God, for Christ his sake, that once devoid of strife, I may thy holy hill attain to dwell in all my life. So again, that we are looking to join in with them uh, and to come to our home. With about a minute before we hear the entire hymn, you use the word, the stanza used the word that this is our true home. That's hard to grasp when we feel so at home here in this creation, but we really are only at home with Christ in the new creation. About a minute. Yeah, we have no lasting city here. Our citizenship is in heaven. Here we have a veil of tears. We do not yet have everything in subjection to Christ as he's promised. But we live by faith in the Son of God. We live by faith in what he's promised. And our faith expects to receive this. That's how certain his promises are, that they're not hopes and wishes. They're hopes that are certain. 
Let's hear the entire Church Triumphant hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. Thank you. 
the church triumphant hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home. Pastor Denzer, what are your final thoughts on this? If anybody says that that Christianity ought to be more focused in this world than in the next, they're wrong. It's true. In fact, what Paul says is if we had hope in Christ for this life only, we would be really pitiful. But we do expect the resurrection from the dead. We expect eternal life with Christ Jesus and with all his saints. And it is not wrong at all for a Christian to desire this, to long for it, to be glad to consider the days, uh, in fact, that all of these calamities will be overpassed and we will be with Christ our Lord forever. We call this the beatific vision, the blessed vision. It's what we all are awaiting and is what the Lord has accomplished by his death and resurrection, by his blood. Uh, it is already a reality. We have it now by faith. We will have it by sight, and we look forward to that day. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Today's the last day of October, the last day that Confessing Jesus, the Heart of Being a Lutheran, is our book of the month. This is a Christology answering the who, what, when, where, and why of Jesus in very simple language. I highly recommend it. Find out more about Confessing Jesus at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for Confessing Jesus. Tuesday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss missions through music with Pastor Nathan Sherrill, and we'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school teaching on Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2. Then on Thursday, we'll talk with Dr. David Scare about Christ, the center of our eternal life. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Word of God, Daily Worship, Lutheran Hymnody and Catechesis, Instruction in Phonics, Traditional Math, Literature, Grammar, History, Latin, and Strings. It's all part of our daily life here at St. Paul Lutheran School in Hamill, Illinois. St. Paul is seeking teaching candidates for the 2023-24 school year. Learn more at school at stpaulhamel.org. Consider joining the faithful faculty at the only classical Lutheran school in Greater St. Louis. School at stpaulhamill.org. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Muscoota, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Muscoota, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmuscoota.com. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. 
To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th.